Amen. Thank you, Peter. Well, I survived. Barely, something said. Yeah, and I have all my toenails. That was last Saturday, by the way. I, um, so I'm running down the road, and I'm at mile 14, right? And they had laid out the course such that the second half, the second 13.1 half you know, marathon part of it, was you ran out and then back. And so you'd see the people who are coming back, right? So I'm at mile 14, and on the way back is, well, it doesn't make sense quite to you, but anyhow, it makes sense to me, about mile 24 coming the other way, somehow the way that was laid out. And so I pass the mile 14 marker, and I see the mile 24 marker up in front of me coming from the other direction, and here comes the winner, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was a little behind him. <laughs> Didn't quite make second place. But anyhow, I did finish, and it was fun. I had a great time. I appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity to go um, do that. Um, give you a little bit of background. Our text today comes from John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip over there. Um, in John chapter 8, Jesus is in a heated argument with some of the rabbis, some of the doctors of the law, some of the very intellectual elites of his day. And so uh, the, the question, the issue that they're arguing about is whether or not Jesus really is the Messiah. And so they have a lot of back and forth. And there's exchange that goes on here in John chapter 8. And then things get kind of nasty. And one of the rabbis makes a nasty statement. And he says this, John chapter 8 and verse 41, he says, we were not born of sexual immorality. Now they're referring there to Jesus's virgin birth, this claim that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. Uh, but they all know, they all think that Jesus was actually an illegitimate, as the NIV says, an illegitimate child that is born of fornication. And so this comment by the rabbis begins a conversation about who really is and who really is not a child of God. And so that's what we want to talk about today, this idea of who is and who isn't a child of God. And we'll let the Lord Jesus tell us the answer to that question. So let's stand to our feet from the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 42 through 47. Again, this is part of the exchange between Jesus and the rabbis. Remember, we stand week in and week out to remind ourselves that this is where truth comes from, right? It doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. It doesn't matter what some political commentator says, somebody says on the radio, somebody says in the news network. What matters is what God thinks, and we don't have to wonder what he thinks because he wrote it down. So let's read together John chapter 8, beginning at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so what I'd like to do is just kind of walk through these verses together and see what's going on in here, this argument that Jesus makes about who is and who is not a child of God. So we'll begin at verse 42. It says, Jesus said to them, that is to the rabbis, if God were, notice that's the key word there, if God were your father, um, <clears throat> you would love me for I came from God. You say, well, why is the word were the key word? Well, it's because of the tense of that particular verb. 
Um, if Jesus was to say in the indicative mood that he would have said, if God was your father, but Jesus says in the subjunctive mood, if God were your father. Now, what the subjunctive mood might, might have been a little while since high school grammar class, right, English class. Let me kind of explain to you a little bit about what the difference is between the indicative mood and the subjunctive mood. In the subjunctive mood, what that means is, is presupposing by saying, if God were your father, Jesus is presupposing um, that, that whatever he's about ready to say, what follows is contrary to the fact. So if God were your father, so he's insinuating that God's not. You follow that? That's the subjunctive mood. That's what that means there. So for example, if I was to say, if he were sorry, but he's not, he would apologize. Um, or if we were to take a little bit more local um, uh, example, if the Falcons were well coached, <clears throat> they would be a winning team. Um, and so same with Jesus is saying, if God were your father, by using the subjunctive there, he makes it clear that God is not. The point is that from the very beginning of this discussion, Jesus' position is that these rabbis are not God's children and that God is not their heavenly father. Jesus makes that very clear in the statement that he makes to them here. And now, having set that up, Jesus goes on to make very clear a very decisive statement. He says, verse 43, in case y'all missed what I was saying, verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? Well, it's because, verse 44 it's because of your father, because you are of your father, the devil. Pretty clear, right? And your will is to do your father, the devil's desires. Remember who Jesus is speaking to here. He's speaking to the rabbis. He's speaking to the doctors of the law. He's speaking to the learned men of his own day. He's speaking to the intellectual elites. He's speaking to the guys that went to Harvard, right? And the senators from Israel, right? He's speaking to all these political um, people that have so they're self-absorbed in their own intellect. And he says to them, you are not children of God. You are of your father, the devil. Verse 47, Jesus says, goes on to say, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason that you do not hear God's word is that you are not of God. That is, you do not belong to God. Now, I want to make sure we fully grasp what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that even though y'all are Jewish, even though you are the religious leaders of this nation, even though you are dripping with religious performance and kudos to your religious performance and have all that to your credit, Jesus says, verse 47, you are not of God. You don't belong to God. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. So here in John chapter 8, Jesus makes it very clear that all the human race can be divided into one of two categories. Category number one are those who are children of God. Category number two are those who are children of the devil. And those are the two categories. Jesus says you either belong to one or you belong to the other. And this forms the basis for what the Apostle John would later write, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. By this, it is evident who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. And then he goes on to explain the distinguishing features between the two. Um, as human creatures, we are all God's creation. Let me be clear about that. Perhaps you've maybe said somebody say before, we're all children of God, though. That's presupposing something that the Bible does not teach. Yes, we are all God's creations, but as God's creations, there's only one way to become one of God's children. So anybody who would step out in front of us and say, or maybe we've heard this said before, that, hey, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creations, but we're not all God's children. To be a child of God is reserved exclusively for persons who put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, who put their hope for heaven in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, people who apply the blood of Jesus to their life by asking for his forgiveness. 
In other words, they allow what Jesus did on the cross to be their substitute for their sin in our life. You say, Gordon, are you sure you're not reading way too much in the subjunctive mood of a verb here? Right? It sounds like an awful lot that you pull out of one little tense of a verb here. Well, that's a really great question. And what we find is that the whole rest of the Bible teaches this exact same concept, that not everybody in the world is a child of God. Yes, we're all God's creations, but there's only certain of us who are children of God. For example, John chapter 1 and verse 12, John writes, But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice that there's a condition there to becoming a child of God. You've got to receive the Lord Jesus. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus. Writing to the followers of Christ in Galatia, Paul writes Galatians 3 and verse 26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons, that is children of God, but notice how, through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, there's a condition in order to become a child of God. Writing to the believers in Rome, Paul says, Romans 8 and verse 15, for you did not receive spirit... For you did not receive the spirit of slavery so that you could fall back into fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, which means in Hebrew, Father. You see, friends, no person is born a child of God. It's just the opposite, in fact. Paul writes chapter 2 and verse 1. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. That every one of us was born dead, that is spiritually dead, in our sins and in our trespasses. That is, we are separated from God. We are children of the devil. That's how we come into this world. That's what Paul's saying there in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And so because of that, we must be adopted into God's family. We're not born into God's family. You follow me, right? The papers haven't been signed. And until those papers get signed, we're children of the devil, one of two categories. We're not children of God. But we sign the papers, again, by asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins by trusting the work that he did on the cross. And this is the good news of the Bible. This is the good news of the gospel, that God loved me so much, that he loved you so much, that he loved each and every human being in this world so much, that he was willing to send his one and only son, the Lord Jesus, as a sin substitute for the death that you and I deserve. Jesus' blood for our blood. The punishment that fell on him should have fallen on us. And this made possible for us to become adopted into the family of God. This is why John says, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we might be called children of God. And so we are. That's just what we are. Now let me say, if you're here today and you've never entered into a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then know this, that God wants for you to be a part of his family. God wants to adopt you just like he's adopted me. He wants to make you one of his children, and he'll become your heavenly father, and he'll do that if you'll give him the opportunity. And so I'm, asked, I'm here to ask you that if you are, are not an adopted child of God, what in the world are you waiting for? Right? What in the world? What's holding you up? I mean, that's a pretty good deal, right? You turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you get to become a child of God? Something for you to think about. All right, well, that's our text for today and our treatment of this, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Um, you say, Gordon, I appreciate the grammar lesson this morning. Um, but, you know, subjunctive mood, indicative mood, only mood I know is a bad one or a good one. What difference does any of this make to me? Um, well, that's a great question. Let's see if we can answer that. Did you know that in the New Testament, God refers to himself as our Heavenly Father 262 times? 262 times God is referred to as our Heavenly Father. Father. It seems like 
He wants us to know that. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Um, it's a very important role that he occupies in our life, and he wants us to know that he occupies this role as our heavenly father. Um, even if you're here today and you had a good earthly father, the good news in that you have a heavenly father is that your heavenly father wants to take what your good father, your earthly father did to a whole nother level. Perhaps in, this, perhaps in this world, though, you had a bad earthly father. Well, you have a heavenly father who says, hey, look, let's hit the reset button. I want to pour into you. I want to heal you. I want to heal you of all the damage that's been done in your life. And we have this wonderful earthly father that says, look, let's start over again and let's pour into you. And so with the time that I have remaining, I want to share with you some of the benefits that come from having God as our heavenly father. Okay, y'all good? All right. I didn't run out of breath. It's all back, right? Just give me a week. I'm good to go. All right. Number one, the first benefit is that we get a father who loves us unconditionally. That is, we get a father who loves us not, for, not based on how we perform. God doesn't love us less because we made a mistake. God doesn't diminish in his love for us because we rebelled or because we sinned or because we made a mess. I don't love my children less because they make mistakes. It might disappoint me, but it doesn't mean that I love them less. And so when we make mistakes, when we sin, God, our Father in heaven, doesn't love us less. His, his, again, his love toward us is unconditional. It's not based on how well we do or on our performance. Number two, second benefit that we get from God as our Heavenly Father is that we get a Father who promises never to abandon or forsake us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Lord Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What that means is, no matter how bad things get, no matter how, many, how thick the bullets are that are flying, no matter how deep a black hole we think we're in, Jesus Christ is standing right there beside us because God, our Heavenly Father, promised us that He would never leave us and that He would never forsake us. Again, that's one of the benefits that we get from having God as our Heavenly Father. Number three, benefit number three is that we get a Father who promises to meet all of our earthly needs. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, Jesus said, if you then who are evil, know how to do good, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God, our Heavenly Father, takes care of our needs. Number four, we get a Father who is tender and patient with us. Psalms chapter 103 and verse 13 says, just as our Father shows compassion, just as a Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And think about who wrote this. This is the psalmist David who wrote this, who had made some pretty bad mistakes in his life. And he says, hey, you know what? What I've discovered about this God that I serve, this God that I serve shows great compassion. He shows mercy. He's tender. He's patient with me. Number five, we get a father who is more merciful and more forgiving than you and I deserve. Psalm chapter 103 continues, verse 10. For God does not deal with us or treat us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And everybody should say, hallelujah, right? That's wonderful. That's a wonderful promise that God gives us here. That's great news. I don't know that anybody has ever prayed in the history of the world, Lord, bring on me what I deserve. I hadn't heard that prayer before. I don't know if any of y'all, it would make me very sad if I prayed that prayer. I can't imagine God answering that prayer in my life. Lord, Lord treat me exactly how my sins deserve. No, friends, we pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, don't repay me according to my sins. And this verse tells us that God is filled with grace that our God is filled with mercy, that our God is filled with love for us, and thank God for that. Benefit number six, we have a God who is available. That is, we have a Heavenly Father who wants to connect with us in our pain and our suffering and our hurt. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 tell us, For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who is in every respect has tempted as who has been tempted as we are therefore verse 16 let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need our god is listening our god is available and finally benefit number 7 we get a father who genuinely cares about all aspects of our lives Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? He does. Isn't that wonderful? You know, we, we as Christians, as people who have read our Bible, have attended Sunday school classes, have heard lessons, this is one of those simple truths of the Bible that tends to just kind of fly in one ear and out the other, just shoots over our head. We just miss it sometimes because it's just a simple truth. Think about this for a moment. This is the God of the universe who's keeping Pluto from running into Neptune, right? And who keeps the sun and the stars all in their place in the sky. This is the God of that kind of power who is more powerful than our sun, who is more powerful than galaxies. This is the God who created all of that. And this God who created all of that cares about my washing machine blues, right? And cares about my car problem and cares about me getting my bills paid and what's going on in my life, and the problems I'm having with family, and the issues that are happening with me, my God cares about, how does he have time for that? Think about that. Just a simple truth. Cast all your anxieties on him. Truth. Because he cares for you. Friend, if you're here today, and your life feels like a mess, and your emotions are out of control, and you are directionless, and hurting, and wandering, let me tell you, Unleash a father like that into your life, and he will heal the damage. He will mend what's broken. He will put you back together. He'll get you back on your feet, healthy, well-adjusted, capable, firing on all cylinders, ready to go and hit the ground running. But if your plan is to fix yourself, and human beings have been trying to do that since the Garden of Eden, how's that worked out? Not so well. Friend, what I hope you take away from this today is that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, in that moment you enter into a relationship with God that the rest of the world does not have. We are all creations of God, but only some of us are children of God. Don't ever believe that we're all children of God. Don't ever tell anybody that we're all children of God. The Bible says that is not true, but if you are a follower of Christ, the Bible says you are a child of God. Now, what do we do with that? I mean, is this some recipe for license, right? We've got this God who won't hold against us our sin, who's great in mercy and grace, and so we just get to go out and live however we want to live. Is that what this is saying? And we get to take advantage of this love that God has lavished upon us where he, doesn't, uh, he, doesn't, uh, he loves us unconditionally, not based on our performance. I mean, is that what we do with this? No. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that God spanks his children. Just because I love you doesn't mean I won't discipline you, right? Please don't think that because we're his children that we can go out and live any which way we want to live. That's not what the Bible's telling us. But the Bible is telling us that even when we try hard to obey our Heavenly Father, the Bible reveals that even when we are trying, as good children should, right? That even when we are trying our best to honor him and to trust in him and to be holy and be righteous and live the way he wants us to live, and good children should do that, the Bible also reveals that we won't do it perfectly. That we will make mistakes. And we have this wonderful, unconditionally loving Heavenly Father 
who is full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and who can come in and heal the damaged and mend what's broken. And that we don't have to worry about harsh derision from him, but rather compassion and understanding and that he'll restore our heart, he'll restore our life, he'll make us whole. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, that's who you are. We're thankful for this simple truth today, reminded of who you are to us. And Lord, you want to be known, not as our judge, not as our master, but that you want to be known as our Heavenly Father. A tender, compassionate term. Lord, we thank you that you love us in ways that we don't deserve, that you give us chance after chance, that you're forgiving and patient with us. We are so grateful for that, Lord. As we gather around this table today to, be, to remember your shed, the blood of Jesus and the broken body of the Lord Jesus, we are grateful, Lord, that you loved us so much that you were willing to send him as our sin substitute. Lord, if there be any here among us today who would say in a moment of honesty that I'm not in a personal relationship with Jesus. I've never asked him to forgive me of my sins. That Lord, in the quiet moments as we receive these elements today, they would bow their head, close their eyes, and invite you, Jesus, to forgive all their sins and come into their heart to be their Lord and their Savior. God, we commend these moments to you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak and stir in our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name.